but in 90 Days with Jesus, what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be reading through the first 90 chapters uh, of the New Testament. And every day you'll be going through a few questions with related to the chapter that you read, uh, writing down thoughts and reflections. And what we want to see come out of 90 Days with Jesus is what we, we want to be established and rooted in God's love for us that overflows uh, in our hearts in such a way that we are really loving God and loving uh, our community and loving one another. And so that's what it's about. So that's going to be a really good time for us. Uh, we're continuing our study today of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'd like to encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. One of the things that I talked about, we talked about this a, a few weeks back uh, in this study, is I asked you, one week I asked you, when is it okay for a church to be exasperated with their pastor? Y'all remember this question? And then I asked you, when's it okay uh, for a pastor to be exasperated with his church? And the reason I asked you those questions is because we're probably uncomfortable with that idea. We're probably uncomfortable a little bit with this idea that sometimes a church might be exasperated with their pastor or that a pastor may be exasperated with his church. But the, the fact is, when you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see a pastor who is very exasperated with his church and for really, really good reason. Being exasperated is not necessarily a bad thing. If you are a mom, if you are a dad, I'm sure there have been times where you have felt a measure of exasperation with your children. And you feel that exasperation not because you don't love them, but because you do love them. And it's the same way in, in kids, if you have parents, and you do, uh, I have no doubt that there have been times where maybe you've been exasperated with your mom or with your dad. And, 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 and the truth is, is that sometimes parents do things that are exasperating for their kids, and that can happen uh, in a church with a pastor, a pastor with his church. But what we need to understand as we read through and as we study the book of 1 Corinthians is that, that Paul is exasperated, but the reason for exasperation is because of his great love for them. And the reason for his exasperation is because he sees how what they are doing is creating fallout in their own lives and how it's creating fallout in the lives of other people. And so that's part of what Paul is addressing and, and talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul talks to us a little bit about, uh, a little bit about communion. Uh, he talks to us about communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, depending upon what kind of background you come from. But he talks to us about the Lord's Supper, and, and one, as it's called here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and as he talks to us about the Lord's Supper, it might be helpful to kind of know a little bit of the context of the ancient world. Now, different ones of us, we grew up in different traditions. Uh, Steve just shared with you that he didn't become a Christian until he was 53. And so church for him wasn't really a big thing. But others of us, we've grown up in different kinds of church backgrounds, uh, uh, that Matt grew up in a Lutheran church where you called it Eucharist, did you call, or did you call it communion? Uh, communion. communion, okay. Uh, I grew up in, in a part of the Bible church movement down in uh, the southern part uh, of the country uh, where we tended, we were much more comfortable with the term the Lord's Supper, uh, which is how it's called here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and, and different traditions celebrate it differently. Some churches will do it every week. Uh, some churches, like our church, we do it monthly. Uh, other churches do it with other uh, measures of frequency or infrequency, depending upon our tradition, what we think 
about how things should be done. Uh, most likely in the ancient church, when they would celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper, it was a part of their weekly practice. And, and for them, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, it was done in the context of what uh, was called the agape feast or the love feast. And this was a common practice. And what the ancient church would do is they would come together over a meal. By the way, it's very interesting. Uh, when you read through the scriptures, how like in the Old Testament, you see these feast days that were an important part uh, of Jewish worship. And in the New Testament, it's just kind of interesting. You're going to be reading through all four Gospels through the 90 days of Jesus, and you're going to read again and again about how, many, how much ministry happened over meals. But what they would do is they would come together, and they would have this love feast, and they would, um, and, and they would celebrate communion in it. And that was a little bit of the context uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 uh, through 34. And let me read this for us, and, and, uh, and we're going to look and talk about this more. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, says, In the following directives, Paul writes, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. You hear the exasperation? I have no praise for you. In other words, I'm really exasperated. Okay? In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings, your weekly gatherings of worship, your meetings do more harm than good. Wow. Really? Their church gatherings, their worship services were doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. That would make for an interesting worship service. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Now, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Uh, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In in the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regards to our, if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. 
Nevertheless, when we are judged, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you further directions. Uh, When I was a boy, uh, for my parents, and particularly my mom, it was really important, really, really important, that I understand the significance and the importance of the Lord's Supper. She was very, very concerned that when I would uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, that it wasn't done in a way that was superficial, uh, that it was not done in a way that was what the Bible calls an unworthy manner. And that was something that was a real concern for her. By the way, the Bible talks about that. We just read about it. And so I remember one time as a boy, I, was, I don't know, I was probably like seven or eight years old, little guy, you know, and, and little guys, you know, we like to play. You know, play Army, play Cowboys and Indians, play, I don't know, whatever it is you play. And, and, and part of playing for children is, is just you're exploring and trying in this imaginary world to learn what it's like to be a grown-up. And so one day, my mom had been baking, and she was making a pie, and she had some leftover pie dough. And so what she did was she put it on this, uh, she put it on this pan, this cooking pan, and she put it in the oven, just kind of cooked it like a cookie. And so I was, I, I mean, I, I love pie dough. I love pie, okay? And, and so I was eating this uh, fresh-baked uh, uh, pie dough, and, and as I was eating it, I said, let's play like we're having the Lord's Supper. And I'll never forget what my mom said. As my mom said, uh, the Lord's Supper and worship is not play. The Lord's Supper is worship. And when she said that, she was, if y'all know my mom, my mom is hugely gracious. She's just like joy. Okay? She is very, very gracious. But she wanted to make sure I understood that the Lord's Supper is not play. You don't play at the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, is worship, not play. I remember as a boy, the first time I took communion, because, again, in my parents, it was really important for them that I not begin taking the Lord's Supper until it was very, very clear that I had made a real commitment to Christ and that I understood both the significance and the importance of the Lord's Supper and that I not take the Lord's Supper in a way that would be superficial. So I remember it was on a Sunday evening. We were going to be celebrating communion that, that evening, and, and that was the practice of our church at that time, is in the morning uh, we'd be encouraged to really examine our lives before coming to church that evening and taking the Lord's Supper together. And so in our tradition, we always did it uh, away from the Sunday morning event, but in a Sunday evening event, and, and we would get instruction before we came so that we'd be ready to really take the Lord's Supper and not take it in a superficial way. And I remember on our way to church that Sunday, my mom asked me, she said, she said Gary, do you, do you feel like you really understand uh, the importance, the significance of what the Lord's Supper is about? And I said, well, yeah, I, I think so. And I explained it to her, and then that night I took the Lord's Supper for the very first time. But that was a, a significant, important event in my life. For the Corinthians... The Corinthians, apparently, um, for them, the Lord's Supper was something that wasn't quite as important. 
It was something that they were doing in more of a rote way. And, and so what we want to look at this morning is we want to look at a little bit of what First Corinthians 11 teaches us about the Lord's Supper. But what we want to look at and what we want to talk about is we want to talk a, a little bit about toxic worship. We want to do that because Paul does that in this text. We wanted to look at and talk about toxic worship, but we also want to look at healthy worship. And then we want to look at the importance and the priority of healthy self-examination. Healthy self-examination so that we don't take the Lord's Supper or communion in an unhealthy, in an unholy, and unworthy way. Three thoughts here. The first thought is this, is that toxic worship, toxic worship profanes the Lord's Supper and despises the church of God. Uh, this is what we see among the, the Corinthians. And, and for them, that their worship was, was toxic. And that's the reason Paul says to them from the very beginning. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. That what you're doing is it's just toxic. It is harmful. By the way, there are a lot of different versions in a lot of different types of toxic worship. But in this case with the Corinthians, this is how they made their worship of God a very, very toxic experience. For them, uh, it wasn't really the Lord's Supper they were celebrating. In fact, what Paul says, uh, when you're eating, uh, he, says, he says in verse 20, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. In other words, they would gather to worship and you'd have a group of haves and a group of have-nots. And there were divisions among them. And what the haves were doing is they would rally together with their rich provision and they were enjoying their own little supper. Uh, While the have-nots, on the other hand, uh, they had nothing. They had nothing and they just watched on. And, And in this way, they were profaning the Lord's Supper by making the Lord's Supper their own supper. Paul says that what they did, not only was it profaning the Lord's Supper, but it was also despising the church of God. Uh, in, in, um, he's, in verse 22, he says, uh, he, he says this, do you, or, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? that they were despising God's church by humiliating the have-nots. Does that make sense? That for them, their worship had become harmful. That the way that they gathered was harmful. In our world today, there are a lot of different kinds of things that that can divide us. Uh, In in their world, the the divide, the gap between the haves and the have-nots was a lot more pronounced than what we see in our world today. Most of us, when we go home, even if we didn't buy groceries for a week, my guess is you have enough food that you may not enjoy everything you eat, but you probably would not go hungry between now and the end of the week. You probably have food in your refrigerator. You probably have food in your freezer. You probably have food in your cupboard. And you probably have adequate provision. In their world, uh, the separation between the haves and the have-nots was a lot more pronounced. So we may not divide in that way, but in 21st century North America, do we have divisions? Absolutely. We divide about all kinds of things. Uh, we divide between uh, cessationists and, and, 
in, in charismatics. I'll explain to you more what that's about next week when we start talking about spiritual gifts. But we divide sometimes over theological issues that are... Um, there, there are some theological issues that we can't help but divide over. Paul even references this. He, he says that there need to be some differences among you. So, for example, the other day we were in Sacramento and we drove by a universalist, uh, uni, a Unitarian Universalist church. And what they believe about God is very different from what you and I believe about God. That they deny the Trinity. Uh, they deny the Trinity. But we believe that God is one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there are some things where we are going to have differences, and we do have to divide over. But the problem in the church in Corinth is they were dividing over things that were unimportant. And we can do that in our world today. We can sometimes divide over superficial theological issues. Or we can divide over our politics, Republican and Democrat. Or we can divide over matters of race or ethnicity. We divide sometimes based upon socioeconomic status or level of education. But we can divide all over all kinds of things. But what the Bible teaches us is that more important than the things that, that, that divide us are, are the things that unite us. And the person who unites us is the person of Jesus. And so uh, what we need to be careful of is that, that our, our worship of God doesn't become toxic. So toxic worship profanes the Lord's Supper, despises the church of God. Number two, healthy worship reflects on and proclaims the Lord's death through the Lord's Supper. In verses 23 through 26, Paul recalls about uh, that very first night that Jesus took communion with with his disciples. The very first Lord's Supper. And and what Jesus did and what the the Bible tells us is Jesus said this. He said, uh, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, and when we partake of communion together, it's a time of remembrance. Again, in, in verse 25, he says, uh, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That for us, the Lord's Supper is a time of looking back. It's a time of remembering and reflecting on. You know, um, I, I believe... In, in our world, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I've always thought it would be fantastic to, have been, to live at the time that Jesus was on this planet. You know? I would have loved to have been able to uh, meet Jesus face to face. I would love to be able to see Jesus with my eyes. I would love to be able to reach out with my hand and touch Jesus. And, and I, I don't know if you're like that, but for me it's like, you know, I like the concrete. I like what I can touch. I like what I can see. And God has given us this very special, this very important part of our worship, where through our physical senses, we are reminded of the broken body of Christ. Where through um, our touch, we're reminded of the body that was broken, and we are reminded of the blood that was shed. And, and I believe that that, that taking time to remember, to reflect on, to think about uh, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus and his death, I think it's huge. I don't know if any of y'all have ever watched someone die before. I've, I've, because of what I do as a pastor, I've, I've been with people when I, they've taken their last breath. And when you're with a person as they take their last breath, it has a profound impact on you. And folks, I'm going to tell you that if you could look on the cross... 
And you could see Jesus as he took his last breath. If you could see Jesus as he suffered. If you could see the blood. If you could see the body. The body broken for you. The blood shed for you. See, the teaching of the Bible is this. The teaching of the Bible is that I, that God is so holy. God is so holy. And I am so simple. That Jesus had to die. Jesus had to suffer. God is so holy. And my sin is so bad that Christ had to die. But the, the Bible also teaches me that God's love for me, that Christ's love for me was so great that not only did Jesus have to die, but he was glad to die for me, for you. And I believe that when we begin to think about the death of Christ, and when we begin to think about the holiness of God, and when we begin to think about the love of God, I believe that has a way of recalibrating our hearts and our minds. I I think it's hard to watch a person die and then despise them. And, And I think that when we take time to really reflect on Jesus, to see him with our own eyes, or at least in an imaginary way, I, I think that for us that can have a, a way of sanctifying us, making us holy, recalibrating our hearts, our minds. Uh, third thing I want you to see in this text is this. I want you to see that healthy self-examination guards us from taking the Lord's Supper uh, presumptuously. In verse 27, Paul says, So whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever sang a song in a worship service and were oblivious to the words that you were singing. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. I don't know if you've ever sat through a sermon from a really, I mean, just a riveting Bible preacher and been oblivious to what he was saying because you're thinking about what you're going to do later that day, you know? I don't know if you've ever preached being oblivious to what you're saying, thinking about what you're going to do later that day. But, but I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can come into church and we can kind of go through the motions of saying the words to the songs. We can, we can kind of go through the motions of sitting through the sermon. We can even go through the motions of walking through the line, taking a piece of bread and eating it, taking a cup and drinking from it, but not really being thinking about what it is we're doing. And what Paul was telling the Corinthians is that whoever eats the bread, drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the the body and blood of the Lord. The truth is, my guess is all of us have done it at least once or twice, maybe a few more times. And and I think it's really, really important uh, to point out that that there is forgiveness. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to make a pattern uh, this way of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Are, are you with me? Is that, that um, in, in fact, Paul says this is so serious, and, and this is really interesting to me. It's very interesting how we like to rank sins as some sins are more serious than other sins. Okay? We, we, we like to do this. We, we like to assign a, a, a greater sin value to certain kinds of sins than there are to other sins. And usually we assign the greater sin value to the things that other people struggle with and the lower sin value to the things that we struggle with, okay? Uh, and, and, uh, and yet in this case, in this case, 
that despising the Lord's Supper was something that was very, very serious. In fact, Paul goes on to say, uh, he says this, he says, uh, this is why many among you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. And we're not talking about falling asleep because I'm preaching, okay? But we're talking about uh, actually dying. That there were people who were actually sick. There were people who were actually weak. There were people who actually died. And I, I think that, see, I think sometimes what we like to do is we like to believe certain parts of the Bible more than other parts. We like to believe that Jesus died for us, but we don't really like to believe that maybe someone could die because they would take the Lord's Supper in a way that was uh, unholy and unhealthy. And yet Paul says that's exactly what happened. By the way, there's nothing shocking about this as you read through the Bible. Throughout salvation history, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we read story after story about how people, because of their disobedience, that they died. Way back in the book of Numbers, there were some guys named Korah, um, Dathan, and Abiram. And, And what the Bible tells us is that they became insolent. And they opposed uh, Moses, and they opposed Aaron for their leadership. And it's because of their disobedience, they died. Later in the book of Joshua, there's a guy named Achan, and, and what God did was he gave them this victory over Jericho, and after they had gone in and conquered Jericho, he took items that were devoted to destruction. He took some gold, he took some silver, and some other things, and he hid them, he kept them for himself. And because of his sin, the Bible tells us that he died. Uh, Some of us, we may think, well, that's just the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you go to Acts chapter 5, and you read the story about a man named Ananias and a woman by the name of Sapphira. And what they did was they sold a piece of property, and they were pretending to bring all of what they sold to, uh, to give to the Lord. But in reality, they were pretending that they were giving it all, while in reality, they were holding some of it back. The Bible tells us because of their sin that they died. Now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to try to scare you into obeying God. But what I do want you to do is I want you to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And what I want us to do is I don't want us to obey God out of fear. What I do want us to do is obey God out of gratitude and love. And I want us to have a healthy fear of the Lord while also being loved by God and loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That, that, that sometimes, you know, the Bible tells us that sometimes people are sick, they are weak, sometimes they die. By the way, the Bible doesn't teach that all sickness, or excuse me, uh, all sickness is a result of sin. The Bible doesn't teach us that all death is a result of sin. I mean, indirectly, yes, because of the original sin. All sickness, all death is because of sin. But there are godly people who get sick. There are godly people who die. But one of the things I will tell you is if you are sick and you've been praying for healing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a really good thing to do. And I think sometimes when we are sick and we pray, God heals. I mean, I got to see that firsthand in 2016 with my wife. My wife was very sick. She had a huge tumor. The doctors didn't understand it. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to treat it. But there were people in this church that were praying. My family was praying. There were people all over this country and even around the world who were praying for my wife, and God healed my wife. And I think when we're sick, I think that it's a good thing to pray for healing. But I also think before you pray for healing, it might be wise 
to say, God, search my heart. Search my heart. Is there any sin in me that I'm clinging to instead of you? That, that, that sometimes, sometimes, at least according to Paul in Corinthians, that some sin was resulting in sickness. And it could be that if we are praying for healing, but we're not praying for God to give us the grace we need to confess our sin and to repent of our sin, it could be, could be, that, the, that, that what we are struggling with, the, the sickness that we're struggling with, may be, may be a result of sin that we're not repenting of, that we're not confessing. Um, so what we, we've got to do is that we've got to search. Uh, we need to do healthy uh, self-examination that guards us from taking the Lord's Supper presumptuously. God wants us to avoid toxic worship. And he wants us to practice healthy worship through personal examination, confession, and repentance, uh, followed by reflecting on proclaiming the Lord's death and the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to do something, uh, and then we're going to pray. Um, <clears throat> next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Next week. I, I thought about this as I was preparing this text, and I thought, well, should we be taking the Lord's Supper this week since I'm preaching on it? And I, I thought, instead, what I thought I would do is I thought I would go ahead and preach on the text but I thought I would ask you to do something. This is what I want you to do every day this week. Next Sunday, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to worship God together that way. But this is what I'd like you to do this week. I'd like you to take five minutes each day and just do this. I'd like you to think about and reflect on Christ's sacrifice for you. I'd like you to think about Christ on the cross. I would like you to, to, to see in Christ on the cross the holiness of God and I'd like you to see in Christ on the cross the love of God. I'd like you to take some time just to think about and reflect on Christ on the cross. The other thing I'd like you to do is this, is each day just say, God, search my heart, search my mind. Are there areas of sin in my life that I'm clinging to? Is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Is there sin in my life that I need to repent of? But what I'd like to encourage you to do is to be pre- uh, preparing yourself this week for taking the Lord's Supper together next week. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is this, and I, I think it could be helpful. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, but for me, <clears throat> being able to see with my own eyes things has a, a dramatic impact on me, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Okay? And, and what we want is we want the things that we see to have a dramatic impact on us for good. And one of the things that had a really good impact on me, uh, seeing it, watching it, was the Passion of the Christ uh, that was produced by Mel Gibson. And, and what it does is it just kind of takes us through the experience uh, of the Passion of Jesus. Uh, that last night with his disciples, his betrayal, his abandonment by the disciples, his, uh, the trials, the, the, the beatings that he endured, and then finally, uh, it, his uh, being nailed to the cross. And, and one of the things that I've always loved about the movie, and you can think anything you want to about Mel Gibson, uh, I believe that Mel Gibson is a true believer in Jesus. I really do. I think Gibson has a lot of brokenness in his life. By the way, so do I. You know? So do I. Uh, my, my brokenness is not necessarily better than his brokenness. It's just different. But one of the things I appreciate about Gibson is that he played the part in the movie. You know, he doesn't appear. 
His face doesn't appear. But it's his hand that holds the spike that's driven into the hands and feet of Jesus in that movie. Because what he wanted to do is he wanted to picture himself as the one who had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. And the truth is, all of us have had a part in that. That when we, because of our sin and because of the holiness of God, that Jesus had to go to the cross. But because of the love of God, he was glad to go to the cross for you and me. But I'd like to encourage you to to just take some time this week to really reflect on the death of Christ and to ask God to examine your heart and mind as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. Uh, We are grateful because you are a holy God. Uh, That you are, as as the song we sang uh, earlier, that you are a sovereign God, that you are sovereign in the good and the bad, that you are a good God, that you are a loving, gracious, and merciful God. And, and Lord, what we want to do is we really want to be gripped by what Christ did for us on the cross in a way that it recalibrates our hearts and our minds and our lives. Uh, Lord, this week I pray that you will help us to really just reflect and think and to be changed uh, uh, as, we, as we are seeking to really meditate on that and, and to search our hearts and our minds, to confess any Uh, known sin in our lives, and to repent and cling to you. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.